0: You're listening to the Irish Times Worldview Podcast. Welcome to Worldview from the Irish Times. I'm Dennis Staunton. Later we'll hear why Hungary's Viktor Orban wants to build a fence along his country's border and ask if anyone can stop him. But we begin with Greece and the talks in Brussels this week aimed at averting a default on its debts and a possible Greek exit from the Eurozone. EU leaders and finance ministers met separately in Brussels on Monday, and although they didn't agree a deal, they sounded optimistic about the prospects of a breakthrough this week. The reason is a package of proposals from the Greek government that its EU partners say is the first serious offer they've heard from Athens for weeks. So how close is a deal? Will Greece's far-left government be able to sell it to its own supporters? And is this the final act in the Eurozone's Greek drama, or just another twist in the plot? To discuss this, I'm joined from Brussels by our European correspondent, Suzanne Lynch, from Athens by foreign affairs correspondent, Ruan McCormick, and here in Dublin by the Irish Times, foreign policy editor, Patrick Smith, and managing editor, Cliff Taylor. Suzanne, what exactly has been happening in Brussels in the last day or so, and where do we find ourselves now in these negotiations?
1: Um, well, the latest uh, developments here is that on uh, Monday, we had a series of meetings, first of all, with the Greek Prime Minister and, and the heads of the IMF ECB in commission. Then we had a meeting of the Eurozone Finance Ministers, um, which finished with a summit of EU leaders. And essentially, um, nothing conclusive emerged from this meeting, but there's positive signs that they now have a basis for a deal. And in a sense, Greece has been given two days, 48-hour period, in which to kind of come up with a final agreement, um, to come up with political backing from Athens. And the, the plan would be that on Wednesday evening um, here in Brussels, uh, Eurozone finance ministers will, fi- will sign off on, on the final deal. But as he says there, I mean, I, we do have to keep in mind, even if a deal is done this week, this is only um, a temporary measure. I mean, this is about wrapping up and trying to break the impasse on the current uh, bailout. But everyone is, in, is well aware at this stage there was going to have to be some kind of a further third bailout, Maybe may not be called that, but some kind of a third uh, rescue programme for Greece once this one finishes. So, I mean, really, we are just at um, a, a, another twist in this tale rather than a conclusive finish to anything. And
0: what has Greece actually been offering this week?
1: Well, they've submitted the latest uh, set of proposals uh, yesterday to to Brussels. It looks like there has been some movement on things, these key issues um, that have been under debate, which are uh, pensions uh, and the VAT rate. Um, For example, uh, it looks like there might be some movement from the Greek side on uh, the retirement age um, um, and cuts to early retirement. Uh, The other issue is this 23% rate of VAT um, for example, the lenders want that in- increased to include um, most areas of the economy. But already we've seen people in the restaurant business and in uh, Athens, in, in Greece, uh, completely opposed to that. So we're probably likely in the next uh, 48 hours going to see um, some detailed uh, discussions and thrashing out of the detail behind closed doors here in Brussels and we will very likely see some kind of movement from both sides uh, on the issues.
0: One of the key demands that the uh, Greece's new Syriza government had when it came into power and one of the things that distinguished it from previous pre- Greek governments was this cast iron demand for a renegotiation uh, of, uh, of Greece's debt, of some kind of reduction of the debt burden. Is there any sign of any of that coming?
1: Yeah, I th- that's still a crucial issue. Um, and I think we need to distinguish again between what bailout we're talking about. If they conclude uh, the negotiations on this st- current stalled bailout, there's no question of debt relief being included in that. But once conversation starts about a third rescue package, I think we may see at least uh, some kind of promise to at least uh, consider debt relief in the future as part of any further bailout programme. There's been talk here of, um, and, and Irish citizens will be familiar with this, the famous uh, pledge of November 2012 uh, to look at debt relief. Now, Ireland knows well that we didn't necessarily get anything much from that pledge. So if this is the kind of promise that's been held out, I don't know how far that's going to to travel in Greece. Um, So we might see something vague in terms of commitment to debt, but so far that has not been discussed uh, this week in Brussels.
0: Ruan McCormick in Athens, how has the news of this uh, deal or uh, looming deal or Greek offer in Brussels been going down in Greece itself?
2: Well, Tsipras has been walking a tightrope all week. On the one hand, he had to give the Troika enough to satisfy them and ensure that the extra bailout fund could be released. But on the other hand, he was looking over his shoulder constantly at at his own domestic audience. And in particular, he had to be sure that he could bring his own party along. Um, It's been quite a fraught atmosphere here in the last few days. We've had protests taking place almost every night uh, in front of the Parliament building. Uh, one group, um, urging, uh, him to safeguard Greece's place in the Eurozone. The other insisting that he shouldn't back down in any way on his, his core demands and, and red lines. Theresa is something of a broad church on the left here. It includes social democrats and moderates, but also different elements on the far left uh, who'd be quite influenced by Marxist thinking. And in in particular, he had to be mindful of the left platform. This is a far left faction in the party that controls about 40 seats in parliament. That meant he had to stick to some of those red lines or at least come back to Athens with something something to show for his efforts, something that would give him uh, the political space in which to work. So in Athens today attention is very much on whether Cyprus has done enough in that regard. Can he sell the deal to his party and, of course, to his coalition partner on the right as well, uh, the independent Greeks? Some of the initial signs this morning were not good. The deputy parliamentary speaker said not only that he would vote against the deal, but that he didn't think it would pass through parliament. Um, And at least one other Syriza MP has said, uh, he'll vote against as well. But I think the real test will come when we see the final text of the agreement. Um, when that's released, we'll get a sense of how the bulk of opinion within the party is going. Uh, and so far, I think most politicians uh, are holding back. In general, uh, on the streets, the mood is is much as it was and that life, normal life goes on. Um, banks and shops are open. We've not seen long queues forming at ATMs. Tourists are still wandering the streets. Um, and all the rest of it. But, of course, Greek society is in anything but a normal situation, um, and you don't have to dig very deep to see that. I spoke to a car dealer yesterday who said economic life had virtually uh, ground to a halt since the beginning of June as this June 30th deadline approached. I was in a brand-new shopping centre where nobody seemed to be buying anything. The only people there seemed to be browsing or sitting in cafes. And while there haven't been queues at ATMs, it's clear that speculation about um possible capital controls or even a Greek default has prompted a lot of people to withdraw money from the banks. Um, I spoke to one student yesterday who said his parents had taken out all their money, which amounted to uh, €10,000. Another accountant I spoke to said the highest individual withdrawal he'd seen in recent weeks was €100,000. He said some people were simply taking the money home others were putting it in safe deposit boxes. Now, of course, none of this is happening in a vacuum. The background is that Greece has been through this huge trauma over the past five years. The economy has contracted by a quarter, unemployment at 25%, and the levels of social deprivation uh, have risen as well. So I think people are concerned, people are weary, and they are desperate for any sign of hope, any sign that this extraordinary period of hardship is finally coming to an end.
0: How are the opposition faring in all of this? Are they benefiting to any extent from uh, the discomfiture of Syriza? Uh,
2: they're not making any great gains in the polls. It's been interesting to watch New Democracy, the party uh, led by former Prime Minister Samaras uh, today. Um, some of its senior figures have been coming out this morning saying they don't like this deal very much uh, either. They're complaining that it imposes too many extra taxes on business and that it cannot um, spur growth in the economy. But they haven't indicated how they'll vote on it in Parliament. They say they're waiting um, to see what, what the final text looks like before before uh, making that announcement. Another small point worth making in passing is that one potential problem for Cyprus is that his coalition partner, the Independent Greeks, are opposed to the scrapping of a 30% uh, discount on VAT for the Aegean island. Um, it, it's even said that it would walk out of government if it lost on this red line. As things stand, it appears from what we can take up from Brussels, it appears that that discount will be scrapped. But it's been reported this morning that uh, the government is working on some sort of another arrangement that would ease the impact on the islanders. And that would mean that Cyprus um, wouldn't have to uh, be too concerned about the... the support on the right of his coalition that um, the real concern for him then would be on the
0: left. So if uh, if Tsipras loses some of his own uh, Syriza people on the left in in a vote like this, is the general feeling in Athens that he would be able to make up those numbers from the opposition uh, in, in in terms of votes uh, to pass this deal in, through the parliament? Uh,
2: he could well. And um, I mean, the indications in the deal are that most of these measures are tax rises and that the only spending cuts are for the military. So so Tsipras will be able to point to this as proof that he's resisted Troika pressure for more cuts. He'll say the taxes are aimed largely at the wealthier in society and corporations with large profits and that this will further the causes of redistribution and and social uh, justice, uh, which were, of course, key points of uh, um Syriza's election uh, manifesto. And so he'll be hoping to... Um, not to lose too many on his left by, by saying these things. He'll also point out that the government has avoided scrapping uh, a benefit for low-income pensioners um, and that he's resisted attempts to force Greece into further deregulation of its labour market. But the bottom line is that at the end of the day, this is an austerity programme. And so he does risk losing support from the far left. Um, there's no getting away from that. The VAT will increase there will be restrictions on uh, early retirement for some people, social security will go up for some people. I think, um, as has already been mentioned, I think a lot hangs on whether Greece is given any firm commitment from the creditors on debt relief. Um, Angela Merkel seemed to indicate this hadn't even come up at discussions yesterday, and as Suzanne has indicated, that that's maybe for another day. Um, Merkel also said that she regarded Greece's debt as sustainable for the moment, but Cyprus has a lot riding on this. I think if we were able to get some sort of a pledge on the death, it would certainly improve his chances of carrying the parliamentary vote. Uh,
0: Cliff Taylor, uh, if Greece gets this deal this week, how much good is that going to do its economy? Is it going to sort out its problems to any great extent?
3: Well, I think, as Suzanne, uh, as Suzanne said, this is only going to be a temporary measure, uh, a sticking plaster or maybe, or maybe something more to get us through the next few months. Because looming into view is the uh, the third the necessity to negotiate a third bailout program or, or whatever it's called for Greece, uh, because there's no question that Greece is going to need further assistance uh, going forward. Now, can we just on that sure. subject? Now, Greece is
0: uh, is running a primary surplus as mm. of now, which means that if you take out debt repayments, that actually the uh, it's it's taking in more money than it's spending. Mm. The government. But so insofar as Greece needs more help is that just through
3: services debts services debts and to uh, keep its banking system open uh, which I, th- I think has emerged as the uh, as the key issue over the over the last uh, over the last few weeks uh, you're right the debt issue, the debt issue is is why it needs immediate assistance uh, in particular there's been a focus on this payment of 1.5 billion due to the IMF at the end of this month uh, which it can't make unless it gets some more money from, from from its creditors, and there are other repayments due to the ECB and the institutions in the middle of July. So so there's a uh, there's a there's a number of repayments that need to be met over over the next couple of months. Uh, but the more pressing issue possibly is is the state of the Greek banking system, and we've seen as the uncertainty has built over the last couple of weeks, in particular deposits leaving the banking system. Uh, Depositors are afraid that uh, if Greeks defaults, then its banks are going to go bust as well and they might lose their savings or their savings might be re-denominated into into some kind of new drachma and, and be worth a lot less. They're also mindful of what happened in Cyprus, where as a recapitalisation mechanism for the banks, a levy was put on, on, on deposits. Uh, so, so there's a lot of reasons, I suppose, to, to, to have taken money out of the green banking system over the last uh, the last while. It's now crucially reliant on the ECB to keep it open, and we now see the ECB having daily discussions on this. That can keep going for as long as the political discussions keep going, for as long as there's a reasonable prospect of a, of, of a solution to all this. The risk is if there's some kind of political breakdown The question then will be asked, can the ECB continue to fund the Greek banks? Uh, And under its rules, as things stand, it may find it difficult to do that.
0: Now, uh, this issue came up apparently at the finance minister's mm. meeting yesterday where the German finance minister, Wolfgang Schäuble, apparently supported by the Irish finance minister, Michael Noonan, suggested that maybe the uh, this emergency liquidity assistance, this mm. uh, emergency cash that the ECB is pumping into the Greek ga- banks ought to be stopped unless Greece agreed to impose capital controls.
3: Yeah. It's. I, that's. I suppose a, a sign of just how desperate the situation is. The ECB has over a hundred billion in total assistance in the Greek economy. The Greek banking system at the moment, about ninety billion of that, is in emergency assistance, uh, which is which is a massive amount of money. And what Schaubler said was, look, it was reported to have said, look, maybe it's time now to impose capital controls on the Greek banks to lower the amount of ECB money going in, which would mean that there would be a limit on withdrawals uh, from the Greek banks. And it would mean there would be a limit on how much money could be moved out of Greece into other countries. And uh, what Schaubler clearly is worried about is the ECB plowing more and more money and that, that money in, in the long term being lost. Uh, some slight disagreement about the precise attitude of the Irish finance minister, the FT reporting today that he supported Schaubla. Irish sources saying that it was more a question of him seeking clarification from Mario Draghi, who was at the meeting say, "Look, how long can this go on for? How long are you prepared to fund the Greek banks through these political talks? One way or another, it's clear that the two of them got a sharp rebuke from, from Mr. Draghi, who said, look, push out, guys. This is central banking business. we we'll look after this. You look after getting the political agreement through. Uh, Paddy Smith, uh, if, if, indeed, if
0: uh, Michael Noonan were to have, as as reported, rode in behind this rather hardline approach by Wolfgang Schäu- Schäuble, that would seem to be consistent with uh, with a pretty tough line that the Irish, in common with the uh, the Portuguese and indeed the Spanish, have been taking throughout all of this why are these countries that have been or may be reliant on the kindness of strangers like the Greeks why are they being so uh, hard-hearted or hard-headed i think i think it's very difficult to say from this tiny little snapshot of of the
4: meeting yesterday what 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 mr noonan was actually saying it, it is perfectly plausible to say that he was simply making a statement of the obvious of the the fact that this system of daily meetings couldn't go on forever and that that wanting some clarification on that um more broadly i think that the irish position um has been as far as we can gather because this is all inside the the council meetings uh, it has been very supportive of what it regards as the mainstream position of germany uh largely one suspects uh f- because it's important for ireland's reputation to be seen as as you know going with the majority having having done the job responsibly itself uh, sharing the argument you know that that that, that uh it wants to, to to uh the greeks to do do the same uh, because it, it doesn't
0: want to be in a position where uh it, it steps out of line with the, with the germans but is this calculation uh that because there appears to be another calculation on the part of some of these countries that actually if you give in to the Greeks that this would then uh, feed anti-european feeling in a number of northern european countries because people don't want to bail them out they don't want to give them any more money and that consequently it's necessary for the northern countries to take as firm a line as possible with them
4: i think there's no doubt at all that the continuation of the crisis is feeding anti-european sentiment it 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 plays to the argument that Europe isn't working. It, it look at the shambles in Greece people say and it probably had an effect for example in in uh, the Danish election which saw the um, gains by a major uh, eurosceptical party. Um, and there is no doubt that there is now a, a hardcore eurosceptical hardcore in in the council uh, that um, is is reveling in the crisis as it continues. But once a settlement is reached, it seems to me that those arguments would begin to disappear. Certainly the argument, for example, that has been made traditionally that the um, success by Syriza uh, is going to fuel uh, um, anti-austerity campaigns in in Ireland, for example, isn't as straightforward as all that because uh, it depends to a great extent on how this result is presented. It's very difficult, it will be very difficult for for Saritza to present it as a major victory. Uh, All that they can be seen to be doing is holding the line. Uh, and there are groups in Ireland, for example, who's who have already started to express sympathy with the with the left uh, platform in in uh, Syriza and saying that that Syriza is is uh, uh, selling out the, the Greek thing. So they are clearly not going to be able to piggyback off any uh, quote concession to, to to Syriza. It's not straightforward at all.
0: Suzanne uh, Lynch, is there a sense in Brussels of how much damage has been done to the? Euro- European project uh, at its heart by this entire handling of the Greek uh, of the Greek crisis by the European Union.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I think this has exposed the uh, familiar disconnect between you know the Brussels bubble as I've called and the citizens. I mean, ironically, this week on Thursday and Friday at the EU summit. Um, the main EU uh, leaders are figures um, of the institutions heads of the institutions are presenting a new plan about further Eurozone integration. Um, you know, a kind of master plan over the next 10 years about more um, uh, fiscal collective uh, responsibility and kind of joint approach to, to the economy. And we're back to this age-old dilemma of, you know, the, the, the paradox that in order for this Eurozone project to work you need further integration but most citizens or a lot of citizens in Europe don't want that further integration. So you can see all the time they're kind of fighting against uh, the, the, the reality of the fallout of, of, of the Eurozone project because undoubtedly no matter what, what way you know you look at the situation it is a very damning reflection of uh, the Eurozone project what has now happened in Greece. You know six years on we're in the situation. Um, the there is definitely sympathy for Greece um, from, from every from every country that has waned over the last few months. And I think it's not just Michael Noonan, people like the, the Germans, Dutch. I mean, yesterday, very good. The, the Luxembourg prime minister on his way into the meeting here said, for example, you know, it would be awful it would be if we lose-lose if there was to be a Brexit. But I have to think of my taxpayers. And I think that's kind of reflecting what a lot of the the leaders here are thinking. After all, uh, the huge majority of uh, Greece's official debt is held by other Eurozone countries, so something like over 140 billion euro collectively, as well as the money that was lent through the ECB. So, you know, the taxpayers, unfortunately, around Europe stand to lose if Greece defaults. So it's really, you know, a very difficult situation uh, for people as they try and in some way reconcile a genuine sympathy for the Greek position, but also the sense, well, there's 19 countries in this Eurozone and, um, you know, we can't just make concessions to so one country. What about what about the other 18? So these are the kind of issues that, that they're going to grapple with and are going to be played out in the next in the next few months of this crisis and discussion around the Greek debt issue continues.
0: And is the sense in Brussels that we will get a deal this week?
1: Yeah, I think there will definitely be. And again, it's as Cliff said here. It's because of the, the situation of the banks. I mean, we must remember that technically they've still got a week left to pay this IMF repayment. It's not due until the 30th of June, um, but it's, it's the critical state of the banking sector uh, that's putting the pressure on on everyone to get a deal done. So yes, I think we'll see some kind of a of a deal this week. Um, how long that deal will last for remains to be seen. There's some suggestion that there could be an extension of the EU portion of the deal to March 2016 because the IMF. A programme already runs until March 2016, so it would kind of make sense if you, if you like to align uh, all the different strands. So that may uh, be be one option um, but in any event they're going to have to have something that ties Greece over, at least for the summer when a lot of repayments due to the ECB for due in July and August.
0: Cliff Taylor, if they were to extend this uh, EU part of the bailout, what would that actually mean
3: for Greece? Uh, well, we, just, we would have to see the details of it but I, I... You're, you're looking at a period of time where uh, the EU would, first of all, release the seven billion uh, that, that Greece is, is due to get as the end of the second bailout and, and possibly, I don't know, some, some further funds uh, might be lined up uh, and there are various ways that that, could be, that that could be done. I think one of the key things to watch will be uh, the length of, of, of a possible arrangement. Because the problem in the banking system is just a lot of uncertainty. And if, say, there's only something that takes Greece only for another couple of months, that's hardly going to be enough to keep the depositors in the Greek banks. Really, they, they need to send a signal, I think, to the, to, the, to the ordinary Greeks and the international people who are, who are investing in Greece that this has now been, you know, if not sorted, at least there's a, there's a decent window now where, of safety if you like and a decent chance that something longer term is going to be sorted out if this really is seen as a couple of months uh, then it may not do the job Finally, Ruan McCormick uh, the Greek people
0: that you have met and that you've been speaking to over the last few days after all that uh, has been happening uh, both before Syriza's election and with these hardball negotiations what kind of attitude do they have towards Greece's European partners now?
2: I think it's 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 mixed. I mean overall it's negative in that um Greece uh feels that it's been made a, a scapegoat here. I spoke this morning with Stelios Kouloulou, who is a former journalist and he was co-opted at the European Parliament on the Syriza list in January. He's a friend of of uh Cyprus But he sees the agreement very much as a victory for the creditors and the humiliation for the Greeks. He suggested that he felt the Troika were trying to put down a marker for parties such as Podemos in Spain and and other parties that were trying to convince convince voters that they could bang the table and secure better terms, as he put it, for their countries. Incidentally, I also asked him about Michael Noonan's position as reported yesterday, and he said he was disappointed by Ireland's stance in general. He, He said that Greek... Um, Greek politicians, the Greek people, would have expected more solidarity from those Eurozone countries that had been through a crisis themselves uh, and had been blackmailed, as he put it, by the Troika. In fact, he specifically mentioned how um, Ireland was forced into a bailout under pressure from the ECB and others and compared this to the situation Greece has found itself in this week. But he did say when you find yourself in a minority of one in a group of 18 or 19 people around a the table, then the odds are stacked against you. And in the end, uh, Greece felt it had no option but to accept a truce um, largely on the Troika's terms.
0: Ruan McCormack, Suzanne Lynch, Cliff Taylor and Paddy Smith, thank you. You're listening to Worldview from the Irish Times with me, Dennis Staunton. As Europe struggles to find a common response to the rising number of migrants fleeing conflicts around the world... Hungary's Prime Minister, Viktor Orban, has gone for a unilateral solution. He's planning to build a fence along his country's border with Serbia, four metres high and 175 kilometres long. The move has been condemned by Serbia and by the European Union, but Mr Orban insists that with nearly 60,000 migrants already arriving in Hungary so far this year, he can't wait for Europe to get its act together. To discuss all this, I'm joined from Seged on Hungary's border with Serbia by our correspondent Daniel McLaughlin. And Patrick Smith is still with me here in studio. Dan McLaughlin, why is Orban doing this?
5: Well, he's doing it, uh, as he says at least, to um, stem the flow of migrants, the flow of migrants that Hungary is completely uh, incapable of dealing with. As you said, we're looking at about 60,000 asylum seekers having arrived in Hungary this year, compared to around 40,000 last year, and the year before that, only about 2,000. So there's an extremely sharp rise in in, in asylum seekers making it to Hungary. Orbán uh, says uh, Hungary doesn't have the resources to deal with this. It can't wait for the European Union to organize itself. Um, and it has to take action to prevent this flow, and it says that it 's entirely within its rights to do so, uh, citing the fact that um, that Greece and Bulgaria have also built fences on their borders with Turkey to prevent a similar flow through uh, in that direction um, but there 's also a domestic political um, aspect to this as well uh, the far right Yobik party uh, has been growing in popularity for a number of years in Hungary, and obviously the the migration question is one of the, the key issues that it plays upon. So Orban is very keen to undercut Jobbik to try and uh, lure supporters away from that party and prevent any further growth. So um, there are those two aspects. There's a practical aspect, and there's also a political aspect for Orban in this.
0: So the, the fence is popular then uh, among Hungarians generally, is it? It's uh, It's... It's
5: hard to tell, actually. We haven't had any, uh, we haven't had any surveys done on this. Uh, certainly talking to people down here at the border, uh, in the border region, it is popular. Um, they say that they, they really don't know what else to do. They, I was in a village called uh, Ashot Harlam today, which is right next to the border, and they're getting hundreds of migrants through each day, um, sometimes thousands, they say, um, and they just don't know how to cope with it other than putting up some kind of barrier. Um, they 're certainly told by Orban that this is the best way to go they 're told they 've been told by Orban repeatedly over his years in power that the eu is not uh, really concerned with hungary 's interests and isn 't very good. Uh, or very quick at reacting to those interests, so they don't expect the EU to get its act together very quickly. Um, so they don't necessarily expect it to be fully successful, but they don't really know what else the country and the, uh, and the region down by the border here can do to try and stem a flow that, um, that has increased exponentially in recent weeks and months and is continuing to increase as this fence plan is developed.
0: Who are these migrants? Uh, where are they coming
5: from? Well, it's a very, very interesting mix. I was on the other side of the border yesterday in the town of Subotica, which is just on the Serbian side of the border, just across the frontier from from Ashot Halom. And meeting people there, you can find people, um, you can find the migrants in parks, you can find them in a disused brick factory close to the border. You can find them basically in, in various areas close to routes that take them directly to the border, whether it's along key roads, it's along rail tracks, and once they get close to the border, obviously not having any documents that would get them across legally, they head off into the woods. There are very, very thick woods along the border, which they call the jungle, and they try and get through there into the uh, into, onto the Hungarian side, the European Union side. But some people, I mean, if we look at the countries, most of them are from Afghanistan, Syria, and Iraq. But there are also people from as far, far apart as, say, Kosovo, um, and also in Africa. We, I spoke to a Nigerian guy yesterday. There have been people from Burkina Faso coming across. So um, a very, very wide range geographically, but also a very wide range um, in terms of, of, of economic background. You can just see from some of the people who are coming across that they, they have money, they're well-dressed, they're well-fed, they don't look tired, they don't look like they've been on the road for months, um, they, they could almost be some of them. they could almost be people going on a on a holiday they look really, they look fresh faced and they look like they are well taken care of um, talking to pe- uh, on the other hand, there are people who have been been walking for the most part from places as far afield as Afghanistan. They are very thin, they are struggling, they are desperate um, some of them have, have problems <laughs> with disease um, and uh, they are obviously the ones that are most vulnerable to um, to trafficking gangs. But having said that, speaking to people who work with the with the asylum seekers and the migrants, they say that um, there are lots of different ways that they get across. There are lots of different ways that they get to this point. Some of them have, they've almost paid for what they see as, as a package from their home country. They've paid up to uh, $10,000, for example, to have contacts at each stage of the route. So they will arrive at... Into a country with a phone number, and they will contact this person and they will be their, their their contact in that country to try and get them to the next country through the next border at which point they will call another person in that country, and they will try and get them through uh, other people with far less money are they 're kind of winging it you know they 're trying to um, Uh, find the best way, they're trying to improvise, they're meeting people along the way and they're often just hanging around in places like this park in Subotica or this brick factory waiting to to come up with a plan or or to meet someone who has a plan and then they will try and get across but they are far less organized um, than some of the people who are uh, dealing with contacts all along the route and may have come through five, six, seven different countries to get to this EU border.
0: And most of the people that you were talking to, Dan, were they planning to stay in Hungary or to move on to other countries?
5: The vast majority move on. That's another thing we should acknowledge with um, with, with Orban's, as regards Orban's plan for the fence. I mean, he says that uh, Hungary's accepted nearly 60,000 asylum seekers this year, but the people who arrive are obliged this being the first EU country that they reach, they are obliged to lodge an asylum request here in that first EU country. But the vast majority move on. So Hungary is not trying to um, accommodate and um, provide benefits for and look after 60,000 uh, asylum seekers. Um, it's simply got those forms to process. But the vast majority have already moved on. No one talked about staying in Hungary that I spoke to. They all spoke about Scandinavia, about Germany, about France,
0: about places uh, places further west. Paddy Smith, Hungary says that this uh, fence is entirely legal. It's not uh, creating a barrier with any other EU member state. It's with Serbia, which is outside the European Union. What's the problem?
4: Well, indeed, they go further than that. They say that they have an obligation under, their, under the terms of the Schengen Agreement, which they're part of, to protect the EU's external border, and that this is simply uh, what, what they're doing. Um, the problem, of course, is that... Um, uh they, they they may be actually it may be legally permissible what they're doing um the problem is they're creating uh are going to create huge backlogs in inside serbia which is completely unable to to, to uh, look after the these these people and uh they are refusing to take part in any kind of collective European approach to, to the problem. And Orbán has, has dismissed as, as ridiculous the idea that uh, uh, Europe would would allocate quotas to different countries in order precisely to relieve places like, like Hungary. Uh, he won't take part in that. He's not prepared to, to uh, uh, con- countenance uh, a, quota, a quota system. Uh, He's not the heroic one. Yeah, no. And the other thing is, is what the domestic context, which which Dan was talking about. He's been running a campaign inside uh, Hungary for some months now, uh, targeting and demonising uh, migrants. They run a, a sort of a, a poll of of citizens in which they linked uh, migrants with with terrorists and suggesting strongly that the government believed that these people were coming in to whatever to plant bombs or ferment insurrection or whatever and and that uh, so that that's the context of the wall too that it's not just something that has, has appeared in in his mind in the recent past
0: uh, Hungary is not the only EU member state that doesn't want to be part of any collective uh, approach on the uh, European approach to migration Britain doesn't want to either it's got an opt-out from uh, some of these uh, rules is that migration just another problem that the EU is failing to deal with?
4: Yes I think you can say that 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 is true Uh, certainly the northern European countries in particular feel much less inclined to to view it as a collective problem and much prefer it if um, migrants uh, simply if they arrive in Italy stay in Italy Um, but uh, a couple of the countries, like uh, Germany and Sweden, have taken in in very large numbers, and and I, I think have to be admired for their willingness to do so. Um, there there is a there is a really profound problem here uh, that uh, policymakers have in in Europe is to how to to begin to tackle the problem, um, and. There is a discussion now going on about trying to stop the flow. In other words, uh, sending resources to Africa to deal with with problems of of un, unviable or war torn uh, countries, or to, to to put more resources in into solving the problems in Syria. Uh, the question that raises is: Can you do that without overthrowing? Uh, um, uh, Assad and the answer is probably not but that's a step too
0: far for for european powers. is this a problem though in t- of of a lack of solidarity both within europe and also from europe else uh, to the outside
4: yes uh, ultimately uh, it is they don't really feel that italy's problems are are their problems although theoretically it, it is and it's part of the spirit of the Euro- european union that these are treated I- in that way and it is it is going to be very difficult because in in, in all of the countries uh, we've seen the rise of, of right-wing, uh, anti-immigrant, um, anti-Muslim uh, forces. And the governments are acutely aware that if, if they uh, are, appear too generous, um, then the voters are going to give them a kicking. Dan
0: McLaughlin, will this fence definitely go ahead? Well,
5: it remains to be seen. Um, certainly, Orban says that... Uh, There are no um, uh, uh, obstacles to it uh, legally. He's determined to go ahead with it. But we'll see. It's quite an undertaking practically. And and, and we still don't know uh, the costs. We don't know any time frame. We expect to actually find out tomorrow on Wednesday. Um, We expect to hear more details from the Interior Ministry. The Ministry has been ordered to prepare a plan to close the border. And um, the details of that plan, some details at least, are expected to be revealed tomorrow. But... um, being around this border area now uh, we've seen a few teams around the place doing what appear to be surveys just to actually mark out the border properly and and, and perhaps doing the the, the very very early stages of the work which will lead to this fence but speaking to the mayor of Ashot Haalam, this village right on the border today he's actually the man who's credited with coming up with this idea or at least he first uh, publicly mentioned it last autumn and said we need a fence because there's no other way of stopping these people coming through um, he said today that, that from meetings that he's had, he sees absolutely no preparations being made beyond those initial surveys, and he has no idea when a fence could actually go up. He seemed completely in the dark about whether it would actually go ahead. Um, and he says that until it happens, he's facing an even bigger problem than he was before, because in recent days, since this uh, fence announcement was made last week, he thinks that that, that has caused another spike in people rushing towards the border because they believe it will be much harder to get across after this Wednesday. So he expects a further intensification of the flow through this border area. And practically, it's not really clear how quickly Orban could, could throw up a 175-kilometre fence, four metres high, to uh, NATO standards. Um, we'll see. We should find out some more tomorrow on, uh, well, that's Wednesday.
0: Dan McLaughlin in uh, Hungary and Patrick Smith here in Dublin. Thank you. And that's all from this edition of Worldview. You can find more on all our stories at irishtimes.com. But from producer Sinead O'Shea, sound engineer Gary White, and from me, Dennis Staunton, goodbye.